You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. On behalf of the leadership, we want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Last weekend, uh, Ellen and I were in the Twin Cities, and we had lunch with one of our sons. I'm going to get in trouble for throwing uh, uh, the picture up there on the screen. Uh, There was a time in our uh, pastoring journey where our children, I have three, they're here this morning, who would sell us illustrations, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars. Sometimes they like twenty dollars. I think the highest I paid. So Seth, you get to whatever, all right? So here we are, we're in the Twin Cities having lunch, and who shows up? Santa. And just out of the blue, he sits down and he starts talking. But the deal about this Santa is he's kind of like a real Santa. You know, like there's kind of imposter Santas and then there's real Santas? Here's what a real Santa looks like. July 1st, he began growing his real Santa beard. That's a real beard, I tugged on it. It didn't come off. And it's just... It's just robust, really nice beard. And then as we're hanging out with Santa, we're we're talking and getting to know him, uh, he says something like this, you know, I go to Santa conventions. I'm like, serious? Santa convention? Oh, yeah, I was just at a Santa convention at the Mall of America. I guess learning to be Santa. And he was kind of doing a good job with us. But then there was a table adjacent to us with a teenage girl. And I could see some nonverbals going on with him and this teenage girl, then out of the blue, here's what he says with a bold question. He says to the teenager, are you not a believer? I was stunned. So now I'm thinking, who's he talking about? Are you not a believer in Santa? Or are you not a believer in the reason for the season, Jesus? And so Santa inspired me as I studied Luke 1, the Magnificat, for the title of this morning's message. And it's a very serious question. It's a question I don't think we could uh, ever miss around the Christmas season. And the question is this, are you a true believer? And I want to encourage you this morning to really lean into what God might have for you. You know, some of us grow up in the church, we hear about Jesus, that was my story. I knew about him. I didn't know him personally until I was 19. Maybe that's you here this morning. And that's okay. But we're going to go on a journey with a gal named Mary. We started the journey last week. And would it surprise you if I said something like this? That I believe, according to the New Testament, Mary is the first believer in Jesus the Messiah. Now, I didn't say she was the first believer. I didn't say she was the one who had uh, first faith because there's a lot of believers throughout the Old Testament, right? Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, believed God and God credited him as righteousness. There's a lot of faith going on. The book of Hebrews talks about these faithful people in the Old Testament. But what I'm saying is, there was a point in time when people hung their hat on the real Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior. And I believe this, according to the New Testament account, Mary is the first. How interesting. So if you have your Bible's devices, I want to do a little review from last week. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 1. If you're a guest this morning, just so you know, we're going to 
We're going on a journey for a whole year. We're going to study the gospel of Luke. Why? To learn about the real Jesus. Because there's so many misconceptions, folks. And I'm going to share a little bit about that this morning. So last week, if you have your Bible, look at Luke 1, 30 through 31. We discussed, and this is a miraculous thing, that the angel Gabriel came to a peasant girl She's about 13 to 16 years old. She's living in no man's land, a place called Nazareth, about 100 to 200 people in that village. In fact, Nazareth was somewhat derogatory. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I think so. Jesus the Savior. So the angel shows up, look at Luke 1, 30 through 31, and says this, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, and really that's grace. God doing something exceptional for us, something we don't deserve. You have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will call his name, don't miss this please, Jesus. The name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which literally means to deliver, to rescue, to save. Remember Joshua in the Old Testament? led the nation of Israel into the promised land, same idea. Savior, redeemer, rescuer. Mary then asked this question. She wasn't doubting, she was inquiring. Can you imagine being a teenager and saying, you know, God's gonna do something supernatural? And so Mary responds, how can this be? Since I have not been intimate with a man, the angel replied to her, this is a God thing. This is a God moment. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, please hear me, folks. We don't have a lot of commentary about this in the gospel. We just have to accept it as face value, that God the Spirit impregnated a teenage girl. And of course, uh, the scriptures would teach we have a fully God and a fully man. It's called the incarnation, Jesus Christ. Now, this is crucial, folks. Notice Mary's humble response. I am the Lord's servant, she says. May it be done to me according to your word. Those four words, may it be done, changed the course of human history as Mary embraced her divine calling. We talked about that last week. Mary believed. She surrendered herself in love to what? The love of God. Now, because Mary is the first Christian, we can learn much from her life and evaluate our own Christian experience and discern whether or not we are true believers in Christ, that we celebrate Christmas properly. He is the reason for the season. I'm not opposed to Santa and the whole concept of Saint Nick. There's some great history there. But boy, oh boy, our focus, our attention should be the real Jesus and believing in him. And so this morning I chose to ask four questions from our passage, from this song called the Magnificat. Let's ask those questions together. Let's see what God has to say about what it truly means to be a believer in Christ. So, if you have your connect card, always encourage you to take notes. Question number one. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Friends, that's where this passage starts. Remember, Jesus is the Redeemer, the Rescuer. His name means to save. Now, please notice, I did not say a Savior, but the Savior. 
the one and only redeemer of the world. Look at what happens in Luke 1, 45. This might surprise some of you. Elizabeth greets Mary and says this. She, meaning Mary, who has believed is blessed. Why? Because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. Now notice how Mary responds. It's beautiful. In the next verse we read, and Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit, and this phrase is crucial to understand Mary, the mother of Jesus, rejoiced in who? In God, my Savior. She believed, and now she's declaring that God is her Savior. What a beautiful truth, because he has looked with favor, again, this grace thing, on the humble condition of his servant. So joy fills Mary's heart as she impersonally embraces God's plan for her salvation. Now the first two chapters of Luke continually point to the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 2, 10 through 11. Luke is thematic. He's connecting the dots from the Old to the New Testament. We're going to see in this song called the Magnificat, Mary quotes from the Old Testament 15 times. She's looking back to look forward as to what God is doing. He is fulfilling his promise to bring forth the Messiah. And so Luke 2, 10 through 11, an angel of the Lord appears to who? Lowly shepherds. In the ancient world, shepherds were kind of looked down upon. So think about who is getting this revelation from God. A peasant girl living in no man's land, Nazareth, and now lowly shepherds who are kind of low on the totem pole of vocations. So the shepherds, amen, all right. I could use a few of those. Where is that good girl? I'm liking that. All right, so here's what we see. It's the same kind of refrain, don't be afraid. Can you imagine when Gabriel or Michael or an angel of the Lord shows up, there's always this, whoa, don't be afraid. I'm here on behalf of God. I have a revelation for you, so be at peace. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, notice, this is the gospel, good news of great joy. That's Christmas, folks. Good news of great joy. Don't you and I need some good news today? Life can get hard. You look back at 2019, and there's been some stressors in people's lives. I have some dear friends who, 2019, I got a Christmas letter from them this past week, and it was just hard. We need good news. And that is what Christmas is all about. Good news to bring great joy. And what is that news? It's going to be for everybody. Today, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born to you in the city of David. Of course, that means Bethlehem. But again, the theme, today a Savior is born. The Messiah, the Christ, connecting the dots of the promised Old Testament. Now, look at Luke 2.30. I love this. By the way, Caleb's preaching in a few weeks. This is your passage, son. And you've been working hard on that, right? You sure about that? Okay, counting on you. So, um, God promises a senior man, a righteous man, his name is Simeon, that Simeon would not see death. And can I encourage you? Sometimes we miss the beauty of what goes on in Judaism. 
We are Judeo-Christians, I hope you realize that. We are people of worship. And so here's this guy, Simeon, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Anna worshiping in the temple. They are called righteous people. You're going to see in Mary's life and the Holy Family's life later on in Luke 2 how dedicated they were to come from Nazareth about 100 miles down to Jerusalem to worship. These are God-fearing worshipers who God accepted. And this guy, Simeon, uh, was promised, you're not going to see death until you see and touch the Messiah. And then what happens? Referring to baby Jesus, Luke 2.30, I love it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to who? The Gentiles. And glory to your people, Israel. My eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Now I can pass in peace. Your promise is fulfilled. That's what Luke is trying to communicate. Now the reason, and please hear me, and I don't want to be offensive this morning, but we have to address sometimes the cultural issues, especially in 21st century enlightened America. The reason I highlight Jesus is the only way is because pluralism is a popular worldview. Are you familiar with that? Pluralism basically says, hey, there's just many roads to God. You choose your path, it'll all come out in the wash just as long as you have a path. Ellen and I were on uh, celebrating our 30th anniversary last week, and we had a fun time, and we met a lot of people from around the world. And one of the things we discovered as we uh, had conversations, and people were pretty open to talking about Christianity and Jesus, maybe because of the Christmas season, I don't know. So we had many conversations that were very interesting, but I discovered one thing, that there is a Radical lack of clarity about who the real Jesus is. A radical lack of clarity. And so one gentleman, we were on the island of Nassau. We hired just a, a local guy, and he gave us six hours. We saw the island, went to a beach, you know, snorkeling, all that stuff. But we spent six hours with this fellow. We had a wonderful time getting to know him. And he would call himself a Christian. Generally speaking, that's what he would say. Uh, Nassau has, has a lot of roots uh, for Christianity. And so, uh, through the course of the day, as we kept the conversation going, here's what he said, and I paraphrase. He basically said this. He says, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter who you believe in, just as long as you have a higher power. And I thought, how interesting. And so, out of respect, the conversation continued throughout the day. And we began to see as we talked about pluralism and how impossible it is to have many different paths all end up in the same destination. Many different worldviews somehow saying the same thing. It's contradictory. And he kept inquiring. But then we took him to John 14, 6. Let me show it to you folks. I think this was the highlight or the aha moment for the gentleman. John 14, 6, Jesus is speaking. Please hear me, this isn't me, this isn't Westwind, this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah. He's speaking, this is what he says about himself. Let's chime in. So we shared with him, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Think about that for a moment. So if you have a pluralistic worldview, and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, time out, let's think through this. I am the way, not a way, 
I am the truth, not a truth. I am the life, not a life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the conduit. I'm the vehicle. I'm God's Savior. And I believe Jesus was a truth teller. And so as we share John 14, 6, lovingly, graciously, we're not heavy-handed in our communication. You can just see kind of the light. You can see kind of the revelation. And just the journey of opening up and understanding, boy, pluralism really is contradictory. It is irrational. It doesn't even make sense. And now Jesus is saying he's the only way? Yes. On October 27th, 2010, a severe storm passed through the Minneapolis-St. Paul area with a strong north-northwest wind gusting up to 60 miles per hour. Those strong winds eliminated the use of all but one runway for extended periods of time, forcing cancellations and creating flight delays both on the inbound and the outbound. That night, Ellen and I were on a flight from Houston to MSP, and one of our dear friends, Robin Schroeder, was working that night as an air traffic controller. Now, just imagine a dialogue between the senior pilot and the air traffic controller. Pilots, this is Continental 701, preparing to land on runway 20C. Controller, negative 701, due to extreme crosswinds, all runways are closed except runway 30L. Pilots, I'm sorry, control, but I always land on runway 20C, I'm an expert pilot and can handle the crosswinds. Controller, negative 701, all runways are closed except for runway 30L. Pilot, sorry control, I'm coming in on 20C and I will take my chances. Dear friends, I'm sad to say that is the mantra of many in America. We like our options. Pluralism sounds nice. It's welcoming, but it's irrational and a contradictory worldview. God has provided the runway for salvation. His name is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The Apostle Peter claimed that, Acts 4.12. Let me give you a proof text. Peter's preaching. This is in Jerusalem. A lot of people are listening. Look what he says. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by where we must be saved. Salvation in no one else, no other name. Jesus was honest. Peter was honest. This is the message of Christianity, folks. And it might sound limited. It might sound narrow. Because it is. It's God's way. But you know what humanity does? We cry out saying we want choices, we want options, we want freedom. We want a runway of our own choosing. And I'll never forget late that night, Ellen was with us, and we're coming in from Houston to MSP, and the plane finally landed, and it was a bumpy land. Guess what people did on that flight? They're high-fiving. People who didn't know each other, they're applauding. They're just like celebrating, Hallelujah. It was kind of like the Vikings won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Serious. But I am so glad that evening that our dear friend Robin Schroeder, air traffic controller, said to the senior pilots, there is one runway. Come in on that one 
runway or else. Because God loves us, he's honest with us, folks. Because God loves us, he has to choose the way we'll be saved, not us. Not all worldviews are equally true. We have to come to grips with that. And if you just line them up side by side, what is the distinctive of Christianity? We celebrated it this morning in song, in scripture, that God became man, born of a virgin. We have a God-man who lived, who taught, who healed, who died, who was buried, who rose from the grave. We worship a risen Savior. No other worldview or religion claims anything close. That is the gospel, and that is the good news. So, question number one. Do you believe that Jesus, the one and only, is the Savior of the world? And have you personalized it? Question number two, do you stand in awe of God's sovereign and mighty acts? So let's keep exploring the Magnificat. One of the marks of a genuine Christian is the ongoing sense of awe and wonder. In this song, Mary's desire was to magnify the Lord and not magnify herself. Eight times in this passage, you know what Mary does? Mary uses the phrase, he has, and she recounts the great things the Lord has done. These great things, again, go back to the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan as described through the whole Old Testament. Mary knows her Bible, folks. Study this beautiful song, the Magnificat, 15 times. She's literally quoting from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the prophets, from Moses. This is a teenager, and she knows her Bible. What an encouragement for all the young. And so where does Mary quote from? She stands in awe of God, of God's mighty acts. He is the mighty one. He is the holy one. His mercy, Mary says, is from generation to generation. Now, I want to show you a verse, and I love this verse. Mary's song is a reminder of Ecclesiastes 3.14, teaches. Look what it says. God works. Why does he do it? So we people would be in awe of him. Isn't that a beautiful truth? So when God works on your behalf, we stand in awe of him. A few years ago, Ellen and I spent a week at Yosemite. And if you want to have just a wonderful time in, in God's creation, go to Yosemite. And we hiked and hiked and hiked. But when you go to a place that majestic, what should happen? Creation should point you to who? The creator and so here we are hiking Yosemite for the first time and you come to these majestic waterfalls and they're pouring over the cliffs and you stand in awe and then you, you see Half Dome and you're pulling out the camera, you're just trying to capture that beautiful shot and then there's mighty El Capitan. But what does creation do, folks? We didn't bow down and worship El Capitan. We said, Lord, we stand in awe of your wonder. We stand in awe of your glory. We stand in awe of you. Why? Creation points to the creator. So this is what's happening to Mary. And she comprehends God's mighty acts. He has done great things for me, but not only for me, alike to the Gentiles. And he's bringing Israel to fulfillment. So I ask you this question. What is the essence of Christianity? Please hear me, don't miss this. 
If you miss this, you'll have a hard time standing in awe of God. The essence of Christianity is this. It is God working on our behalf. It is God doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. There are really two basic ways you can approach Christianity. The first one is us finding God. The second one is God finding us. If you embrace the notion that Christianity is you finding God, here's what's going to happen. There will be little reason for awe. There will be a lack of wonder in your life. However, if Christianity is God finding you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to stand in awe of him. Now Luke, I'm trying to stay pure to Luke. I can show you countless accounts just in one gospel, the gospel of Luke, where Luke portrays a God who pursues us. One poet said he's the hound of heaven. He chases us like a lover. That's what he does. But let me show you one parable in Luke 15, my all-time favorite parable in the Bible. Luke 15 is one parable with three pictures of God's pursuit. Please don't miss this. It starts out with a shepherd who has a lost sheep. And what does he do? He leaves the pen, the 99, and he rescues the one. Notice the effort of carrying a 40 to 60 pound sheep back into the fold, sometimes miles. Then Luke continues, 15, there's a gal who loses a precious coin. And what does she do? She searches and searches and then finally she finds it. And she throws a big party for her neighbors. It's time to celebrate. That's a theme in Luke 15. And then our all-time favorite, right? We call it the prodigal son. It's really not. There's two sons that needed rescuing. One was really off, wild, partying up. One was self-righteous and religious. Both needed the rescue of a father. And so what does the father do? In love, in compassion, he chases after the son. He kisses the son. He forgives the son, reinstates the son, and throws a big party. Why? My son was lost, once was lost, is now found. That's the beautiful God pursues. He's chasing after us. And if you still need proof, a few chapters later, there's a chief tax collector in Jericho named Zacchaeus. He comes to faith in Christ, verse 10. And the summary is this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save lost people. That's Jesus. One of my favorite pictures as I was processing this for this morning. A few years ago, I was in Bloomington playing at an elite golf course. Just had a friend invite and say, hey, love to give you a round, let's enjoy. We played around at golf. Uh, we were sitting at the dinner table and I noticed that my wedding ring was gone. I was like, oh no. So I was searching my pockets. <laughs> yeah, it's happened before too. Uh, that was the second one, it was a replacement ring. It wasn't a bad replacement because the first one cost $10.55. That's a different story. Nonetheless, nice ring, replacement ring, not there. I excused myself from the table, went out to look at the golf bag, nothing there, nothing in the golf cart. I just came back to the group. I was just so discouraged because, yeah, it was my second ring. It was a much more expensive ring. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I lost it on the court. Here's what the guys did. They left the dinner table. Everyone got an uh, individual golf cart. And we went from hole to hole, from shot to shot, we were trying to find the needle in the haystack. I couldn't believe that this is possible. Somewhere around hole three to five, can't really remember. Eureka, someone found the ring. That's a true story. 
You could say so good. It is so good. But I think about that. You know why I stand in awe of that? It's so radically different than me going from one shot to the other trying to find this thing. When my buddies jumped in, when they left the meal table, when they hopped in the golf cart, when they put forth the effort, when they sought after something that was precious to me, it just made it me so much more meaningful. Can I encourage you? And I know there's always a little gap in analogies or stories, but I think that's what Jesus did. He left his home in heaven the glory of heaven, the presence of his Father. And what did he do? He miraculously was born of a babe, born of a peasant girl. And he became the God-man. And Philippians 2 said, he became a servant. He humbled himself for you and for me to the point of death, death on the cross. You know what the Bible says? Therefore God highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming, but God would long for it happen today. So, question number two. He's pursuing you. He's chasing after you like the hound of heaven. Do you stand in awe of his pursuit? Do you stand in awe of what he did through a peasant girl? That God literally became man. Yes, he lived. Yes, he taught. Yes, he healed. Judeo-Christianity has transformed civilizations. But his ultimate work was at Calvary. To give his life a ransom for many. That, my dear friends, we should stand in awe of. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus, the Son of Man... Jesus became the son of man so you and I could become sons and daughters of God. Think about that. Jesus became man so you and I could be son, become sons and daughters of God. That one statement alone should cause us to stand in awe of him. Amen? Yes. Question three. Have you found ultimate satisfaction in him? I love how Mary begins, and I love how she concludes the Magnificat. Please stick with me. Look at verse 46. It's just astounding, folks. It's very poetical, but it's beautiful. So Mary believes, she's leaning in, and here's what she says. She says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So in this passage, soul and spirit are used interchangeably emphasizing that Mary has been moved to the depths of her being. The tense indicates a habitual act of proclaiming and declaring God's ability to satisfy the inner person. Mary is not saying, oh, what an interesting idea this is. Oh, my curiosity has been aroused because of God's great works. No. Mary says, my soul my spirit are stirred because nothing has ever gripped me. Nothing has ever moved me. Nothing has ever shaken me like this. Every aspect of Mary, her mind, her heart, her emotions and will, all in. My soul, my spirit, I magnify you, Lord. So then we look down to Luke 1.53. Mary declares, he has satisfied the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich away empty. And you're going to see in the Gospel of Luke that Luke is uh, very holistic. 
Luke cares for the poor deeply as God does. And Luke sees the problem of being rich because sometimes when you're wealthy and affluent, you have all your needs met, you don't need God. So he contrasts that. And Luke's gonna show us that yes, in Jesus, God will help the poor, bless those in need, but Luke's also going to show us as the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and John, and the rest of Scripture, that there is an ultimate satisfaction in life that goes far beyond the temporal needs of life, and that is the spiritual satisfaction that you and I crave for with God through Jesus Christ. And so you know what Mary is saying? He has satisfied me. He is my bread of life. He is my living water. I have eaten of him. I've drunk of him. I'm absolutely satisfied. I'll never hunger. I'll never thirst again. He has satisfied me to the depths of my soul. Spent the weekend listening to U2. I don't know how many of you like the rock band, Irish rock band U2. Any hands up there? Yeah, just a few of us. That's it? Come on. So 1987, they really got America's attention. There's no doubt. Bono wrote a song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the video. It's, it's pretty powerful. How many times I've just felt what he was thinking and singing about. It became an American anthem. Why? Because we're on a quest for meaning, for significance, for purpose, and I would suggest this, for transcendence in life. Is there anything beyond today? Bono answered it. You look at his life today, he went on a spiritual journey, and as best we can discern, he is all in with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came to satisfy you. I came to nourish your spirit, your soul. I came to give you a, a disposition like Mary. My soul, my spirit magnifies the Lord. You have satisfied me in the depths of my being. And so question number three, do you find ultimate satisfaction in Jesus? Or as Bono in 1987 would say, are you still searching? Have you found what you're looking for? We believe Christianity is that answer. Jesus is the way. And now finally, question four. Have you received God's mercy through Jesus Christ? You see a lot of mercy in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, but let me highlight verse 50. Mary says in the Magnificat, because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy, his mercy, don't miss this, is from generation to generation on those who fear him. You know what's beautiful about generation to generation? It's your children. It's your grandchildren. It's your great-grandchildren. You can look back to your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. There have been some individuals just in North America, as young as our country is, who have six, seven, eight generations of faith families. James Dobson, John MacArthur, where from generation to generation, they embrace the grace and mercy of God. That's a God who loves us. And this grace and mercy goes back to Genesis 3.15, where the story of Jesus began. A woman will give birth to a child, and he will crush Satan's head, and Satan will bruise him, meaning Calvary. Calvary. 
all the way to Genesis 3.15. The Messiah was promised. Mercy from generation to generation. What a gift. And so, I'd love to suggest this this morning. What is true of Mary, my soul, my spirit, he has become God my Savior, can be true of each and every one of us here this morning. God loves you. And by virtue of you being here today, I would suggest this. He is pursuing you like the hound of heaven. He is coming after you like a, a shepherd who has lost a sheep, a woman who has lost a precious coin, a father who is desperately loved, in love with two children who have gone wayward. He loves you. And so... The Burrier family read a beautiful verse I want to come back to. And thinking about its mercy, thinking about the privilege you and I have to believe. For God so loved the world in this way. What way? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, think about this, folks. This is Christmas. This is Christmas on steroids. This is the greatest gift. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm 60 years old today, maybe another 20, 30 years. What does eternity hold, Keith Missile? You gotta answer that question. And I had the privilege to answer that question when I was 19. Both my wife and I were at a church. We saw a movie, Life After Death. We all faced the Grim Reaper. Eternal life, eternal death is always in Scripture. It's just very honest with the human predicament. It's appointed unto men and a woman to once to die and then the judgment. We get one chance at life. Are you ready for eternity? Jesus wants you to by virtue of belief. Let me close with this. And I don't necessarily like formulas uh, in Christianity. I don't think Christianity is a formula-based faith, but sometimes the scripture reads like an equation. Let me show you an equation from John. It's in chapter one, verse 12. Stick with me. Jesus said, he came to his own, but for the most part, his own people did not receive him. Some did, not all. But to all who did receive him, what happens? He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe on his name. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this phrase down. Believe plus receive. What does it equal? It's a beautiful resolve. It equals becoming. Becoming what? Sons and daughters of God. Jesus Christ became man so you and I, men and women, can become sons and daughters of God. That is the gospel. That's the greatest gift. And so how will you go into Christmas 2019? Will it be more of the same? We had a wonderful time last night, a lot of food, a lot of gifts, just festivities. We celebrate that. But I know in my heart of hearts, those times pass. Sometimes they're fleeting. And what sustains me today is this. The reality to know that I am a son of God. And my wife, Ellen, is a daughter of the king. And we have been rescued. We have been pursued by a good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. We have been loved by a heavenly father who sacrificed greatly. He gave us all. And so my story is this. 
I grew up believing, folks. I believed in the facts. I had knowledge about God. I respected the Bible, could say, yeah, I'm a Christian, believed in the Trinity, all of that. But I knew about God, I did not know him. I believed, but I did not know I needed to receive, to welcome Jesus Christ into my life, to sit on the throne of my life, to take control. Bible says, and this is, it's a hard verse, the demons believe and they tremble. People can know about God, but not know God personally. And so maybe you're here this morning like me, you have the facts, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's more about cultural Christianity, it's more like I grew up in this stuff, but I've never truly received. And we want to close this morning with giving you an opportunity to receive the greatest gift. Christmas 2019, you can remember forever. And what does it look like to receive Christ? We see pictures of it everywhere in Scripture. And it starts with this, realizing that God loves you. We've talked about that. He pursues you in love. But realize this, we're unholy and he's holy. And there's a problem with separation. Sin has separated us from a holy and righteous God. That's in the Magnificat. But God solved the sin problem. Jesus died. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So Christ came to live, to teach, to heal, to minister. But he died. He was buried. He rose from the grave to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And when we, like the thief on the cross, who said, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter heaven? Jesus looks at a criminal, a capital criminal. Today you're going to be with me in heaven. How did that happen? There was a transaction that took place. Jesus, I believe in you. I'm a sinner. I deserve condemnation. But I put my faith and trust in you. He looks down and says, you're forgiven. I'll see you tonight in heaven. That could happen to you. Christmas 2019. Can we just bow our heads, close our eyes just for a few moments? This is a sacred moment. When I became a Christian, folks, it was very simple. I had a pastor who loved me enough to just be honest to say, if God has birthed faith in your heart today, you can express that faith through prayer. You can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And so he led in a prayer. I prayed. My life was changed. The same night, interestingly, Ellen prayed. Her life was changed. If you'd like to say yes to Christ, put your faith and trust in him. Come to know him as your Savior and Lord. And then, wow, all of what we talked about, soul, spirit, satisfaction, forgiveness, and eternal life. Knowing Jesus personally, not just knowing about him, receiving God's mercy. If that's your desire this morning, just pray this simple prayer in your heart to God. He'll hear, he'll honor, he'll bless. Pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your love. I thank you've demonstrated that love by sending your son Jesus to die for me. Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sin and put my faith and trust in Christ. I thank you this morning for your forgiveness. I thank you that I can receive you into my life. 
And I pray from this day forward, you would give me the strength and power to live for you, to live fruitful, to live victorious. In Jesus' name I pray.